This week, I usually talk on this podcast about Jewish political events, but there have also been some interesting Jewish culture trends in the world of movies and TV shows that are worth discussing. So I speak with Michal Schick, a screenwriter, podcaster, and former culture reporter about those trends and much, much more. I'm Lev Gringaus, and welcome to The Jews Are Tired, your podcast about Jewish news. Before jumping in, if you like this podcast or Jew folk generally and the work that we do, support us by buying our merch. A link to our Teespring store is available in the podcast notes, as well as just a link to donate if you want to give directly. We appreciate any support you can give. Okay, so here's a secret. I follow Shik on Twitter and love her tweets because she's either complaining about writing, which I greatly relate to, talking about different TV shows and movies, or sharing a range of funny to serious analysis about Judaism and the Jewish world. Shik also runs a Facebook group called Orthodox Ladies United in Fandom, and she is involved in four different podcasts, one about The Witcher, one about the Marvel Universe, one more generally about fantasy fiction, and one about Orthodox Jewish fangirls. Links to all of them can be found in the podcast description, as well as a link to Shik's Twitter profile and the Facebook group she runs. So with all of that, I've been thinking for a while about speaking with her for this podcast, and the first subject that came to mind was to talk with her about the persistent issue of Jewish representation on screen in American entertainment media. From the negative stereotypes about Orthodox Jews and the weak, silly, or abrasive, rude Jews, to some interesting questions about how much we should pay attention to the fact that a lot of Jewish women are being played on screen by non-Jewish actors. But our conversation expanded way beyond that because Shik is very cool, and I was way too excited to just nerd out with her. So to give you an example, Shik was greatly inspired by her love of Avatar The Last Airbender, and as anyone who knows me can say, I love Avatar, and I definitely was wearing my The Legend of Korra shirt during the interview. So Shik and I hit all sorts of subjects, from her career and what it's like being an Orthodox Jewish woman at the intersection of Jews and culture, to serious discussions about Jewish representation in TV shows and movies, and what she'd like to see improve with that in the future. Oh, and The Witcher. We talked about The Witcher, but no spoilers, so don't worry. Also, Rachel on CSI, something you'll understand soon enough. I had an enormous amount of fun talking with Shik, so I hope that comes across because she made me laugh so many times. Our conversation has been edited for length and clarity. Enjoy. The first question I have for you is sort of more about your actual work, because every time I see your name pop up, like, you know, in coverage of the satirical anti-vaccine song that you wrote, you know, you're described as a screenwriter in New York. In your Twitter bio, it says you work for Wonderstorm, the L.A.-based studio that produces The Dragon Prince for Netflix. Uh, you've also done, you know, cultural reporting and writing. You run a few fandom podcasts and the, the Facebook group that you just mentioned. So it would be cool to just hear more about, like, what you do, some of the things you've worked on and how you ended up doing all this cool stuff. Basically, what's your story? How'd you end up here? Okay, so that is an interesting question. I think I partly ended up doing this stuff because I graduated in 2010 and it was the recession <laughs> and nobody was hiring anybody for, for 
doing anything, any job. So I graduated with dreams of getting an internship um, in television um, in the city and in New York, and that didn't happen. And it took a long time until I finally got my first internship, was at, which was at a, um, a creative writing center for kids. And I worked at a literary agency also as an intern for a while. And I guess the first fandom thing that I really started getting involved with was podcasting, probably. And I started listening to podcasts in college, probably like 2007. And it was just like incredible to me that I could just go on at that point, it was really still on the on the computer and find people talking about like Harry Potter and just like in, in the crazy kind of depth that I thought about Harry Potter in because um, I was never a huge like fan site person. And it was, yeah, it was incredible to just like start listening to that. So I actually briefly had an Avatar The Last Airbender podcast with my sister in 2008. Um and that was really fun. I don't think it's online anymore, but it was called BenderCast. And we we didn't use our real names because we we thought, I don't know, it was it was still early internet times. But yeah, so I, I always liked podcasting and listening to podcasts. And then I kind of fell into a community called the Vassals of Kingsgrave. I think that was in 2012. And I think we started talking about the Legend of Korra, actually. And from there, it kind of like I kind of got back into the podcast world. I was doing a lot of like odds and ends. I I was able to, I think also in 2012 was when I started writing for Hypable. And that was actually also because of Avatar, come to think of it, because I they had had a little ad on their website. I didn't really go on there often, but I was on there for a particular reason. And um, they had a little thing that said, write for us and we're looking for an Avatar writer. And I was like, oh, I guess I can do that. So I did. And then didn't end up writing about Avatar for like a year and a half because there was no new material. I was covering the Big Bang Theory for a while. But yeah, that was a really fantastic opportunity. I got to go to San Diego Comic-Con for the first time, which I never, ever, ever thought I would be able to do. That was that was amazing. And then I guess around 2015, I kind of started, I started this Facebook group. One, one thing that I always think about is that there is very little organization of Jews in fandom and particularly religious or observant Jews in fandom. And it's a, it's a personal kind of quest of mine. And if I was a better organized person, I would have solved it already, but I'm not. So it's taking a while. And then, yeah, so I started this group and that also kind of just sort of expanded like my exposure to people talking about all different kinds of fan stuff. It was a very slow process to, to, to get to where I actually am, but like, basically, I mean, I, I, I got an MFA for a couple of years. I, I was doing uh, like content writing for um, a couple of different websites and, and a school and a whole bunch of different things. And then I was given the opportunity to start writing for Wonderstorm. And that was, was actually less than a year. It was March of 2020. And that was kind of incredible because I didn't ever think that was actually really going to happen. Um, I, I kind of thought that like the writing for TV thing was just a cute dream that I'd had as a, as a college student and that it wasn't, you know, actually meant to be. And then, um, yeah, so that I guess is the long and Jeremy Baramy-ish path to where I currently am. I love how it's kind of inspiring given that like you're the generation that 
a graduated post 2008 economic recession, especially as I know, cause I just graduated earlier this year, actually. So I know the conversation for our generation was, well, the economy sucks now because of everything that's happening. So it's like cool to hear that, like, you know, you can still do very cool things and end up in interesting places, even if it's kind of unexpected how you get there. Yeah, you can. And also like something that I, this isn't always the easiest thing to hear because like people need like money and stuff. But like, just because you're not there now doesn't mean you're not going to be there. Like it literally took me 10 years from graduating to getting the job. And that's just just what it takes sometimes. It's it's a waiting game. It's an applying game. It's a hearing no, 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 all the, all the time, constantly. And then just, you just need one yes. So, so I'm also wondering if you're okay talking more about it, what's it like being an Orthodox Jewish woman in the culture and fandom space, both kind of a lot of sexism in that space over many, many years. And then also like, if you can say more again about the kind of more religious representation, especially as you're, you know, working and writing on this stuff and and doing what you're doing. Yeah. So that's a comp, well, it's complicated and it's simple. I tend to think that Jewish representation, especially religious representation in Western media period, but specifically fandom media sucks. And there's just no, like, I I have rarely found something that I am comfortable with. That doesn't mean that there aren't things that other people are comfortable with or enjoy or feel represented by. But personally, for me, certainly in live action or animation, I haven't found anything that particularly like speaks to what I would imagine my experience is. That said, like, on a professional level, I, I've been very lucky. The people that I have worked for have always been very, very flexible. And, you know, when I, I, I've told them, I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm out at <laughs> three o'clock on Friday for the next four months. They've been very generous and like have helped me, you know, work around that. And, um, you know, at, at Comic-Con, I, I was there for the first time. I, I went for five years in a row and I was doing coverage there which is really awesome, by the way, because you don't even have to pay for your ticket. And it's just like incredible. So so yeah, so like the first year I was like, well, you know, a lot of the big stuff happens on Saturday in Hall H and a lot of the big movie, you know, announcements. And I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna be there. Sorry, I'm, I'm gonna be at Chabad eating my chicken and challah, and then probably sleeping because this is an exhausting experience. So yeah, I mean, you have to know the people you're working with and you have to have have that kind of relationship. I, I mean, I guess ultimately it's about like being confident in what you're asking and making sure that you are backing it up with productivity in other areas, which is, you know, it sounds easy and obvious, but like it's actually not when you like have to cook for Shabbos and, you know, or if, you know, I, I'm not married, I don't have kids. So like, I'm sure the difficulty level just like, amps up like that that is that's playing on like master level or whatever but yeah I think in a in a space like that that's kind of how you would kind of make your way you also find things that like you can do that not in a breaking you know Shabbos kind of way or whatever but like so I found that I I was comfortable going to like small conventions that are in hotels where I didn't have to touch anything or carry anything. And I could just go into different panels. And I was fine doing that on Shabbos because I was just sitting there. Like the sheer happened to be about Game of Thrones, not anything Torah related, but it was kind of basically the same. Um, and yes, and obviously that's an, that's an individual thing. Everybody, you know, I know people who do go into like bigger conventions and Comic-Con on Shabbos and they also, you know, they have their own ways of negotiating it. But yeah, it's, it's knowing yourself. It's knowing what you are comfortable doing. 
I guess as for content though, yeah. I mean, I still think that's a strong work in progress. I think there's some, how do I put this, like negative intention because orthodoxy is so easy to turn into a monolith and because it's kind of like we aren't. So when we all try to talk at the same time and we're Jews, so of course we do, I get that it's not super easy to be like, okay, I want to make something about, you know, a religious Jewish person, but like, whoa, hold on, wait, what? How many of you are there? Like, what kind? Like, if I do this, then somebody's going to say it's wrong. And like, it, we're not a we're not a, a simple community to represent. But that said, I, I still think that, that things could do better. My, my particular bone to pick is with Marvel because... It was literally created by Jews, not comics. I think Jews are fairly re- well represented in comics, but in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like it was made by Jews and they're another like, who are you? Like we, we haven't met. <laughs> so you touched on a lot of elements that I actually want to get to now because I especially wanted to ask you as someone who lives and works at the intersection of Jews and entertainment culture uh, about two kind of big Jewish culture stories or controversies that have come up regularly over the past couple of years. The first is about the concept of Jewface, which comedian Sarah Silverman has spoken a lot about. Um, Jewface, for the listeners, is kind of shorthand for the trend in a lot of TV shows and movies where a lot of Jewish characters, particularly complex and unique female characters, are played by non-Jews. Think kind of marvelous Mrs. Maisel, for example. Jewish actors, on the other hand, often get typecast into, as Silverman put it, the sassy friend or the nasty girlfriend of the main character. So, you know, I'm wondering, first of all, how do you see the issue when you're looking out at sort of what's available to watch and see how often does it maybe come up at work for you in the conversations you're having with others or as you're working on, you know, screenplays and characters? I mean, just kind of openly giving you the platform on, you know, this is kind of a weird, meaty issue. Yeah, so I will say I don't like using the term Jewface because I, like, I understand why Silverman used it and I understand why it comes to mind and superficially there are comparisons but I don't think that like the casting of non-Jews in Jewish roles has the same cultural power or pain behind it that blackface does so I I personally don't really like using it and I I've tried to think of a different term and I have not come up with one yet I'll let you know um but in the you know casting non-Jews as leading Jews problem um yeah it's funny it's one of those things that like you don't really see it until suddenly you see it. And because no, my, my, my big line on this is that no one incident of it or one, no one example of it is that big of a deal. Actors are actors. You know, if they're portraying, if it's a white actor portraying a white Jewish person, like I don't think that that's the end of the world or, you know, in any given case. But the problem is when you look at the aggregate, it's really like striking to see that like, you know, sometimes you get an Adrian Brody in The Pianist, you know, but like that's sort of it. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting some some people, Barbra Streisand and Happy Girl, but like that's an old movie, sorry. So yeah, I, I think that people have to, I guess, regulate their expectations when it comes to something like this. And that like, I really don't think it's it's always worth it to panic every time. But that being said, I think that making our voices heard about why people think that it's okay to like, I guess the bias that is sort of shown in, oh, you're just like a a Jewish person. So you could just be cast in any role, except that like, usually it's either those that are completely divested of any Jewish perspective or, or anything. Or if it is Jewish, it's somebody who is, you know, 
like she said, like the slightly nebbish, like, I mean, the Big Bang Theory comes to mind again, like Howard Wolowitz on the Big Bang Theory is like, and that show has, I mean, they, they have definitely other racial and ethnic stereotypes that they are perpetuating proudly. Um, but like, it's just like, how is this okay? Like, it's not okay. Like, you're just like, oh, he's the shrimpy Jewish pervert. Like, that's great. Like, it's, it's fine. It's fine, I guess. Yeah, there's just, there's very little identity there. There's very little, you know, humanity um, in that kind of thing, even though it's, it doesn't, it's a comedy. It doesn't look like it's stripping people of their humanity. So it's a complicated issue in, you know, and I, and I always think it's important to, you know, again, contextualize. Like, I do think there is some degree of, Jew, white Jews, especially Jewish women, not being like not having those opportunities. But I also don't think it's quite the same as people of color are kind of really only now getting the kind of wider casting opportunities that, you know, white people have had forever in Hollywood. So I, I think it's it's a very careful line to walk and that it's not a one-to-one, which also makes it difficult to talk about. Yeah, I, 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 I do think it's a problem. And I think that people going forward should make an effort to have like their characters. It, it's kind of, it's for the purpose of remedying the the ratio, even like in my opinion, like any given person, Oscar Isaac, I'm sure will be a great Moon Knight, but you know, <laughs> and it's interesting how how people like you know respond to like oh he has one Jewish grandfather doesn't identify as Jewish actually is very Christian and people are like well it's Jewish enough and I'm like well, no no he's not actually <laughs> like no, I mean not for representation purposes I'm not telling him how to identify but like that's his you know it's it's, it's just not given that weight I think finding the amount of weight to give it in any given circumstance is delicate but important. First of all, it's really good that you started out with sort of pointing out that the word Jew face is really kind of a little bit bizarre maybe to be using in the situation. And also for listeners, it's extra complicated because like Sarah Silverman, who's pointing out this problem, has herself worn blackface, which is on a totally other level. Yeah. So it's 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 a sticky situation. And yeah. Yeah. But it also kind of points to like almost a typical American Jewish assimilation problem where it's like we reached it. We're enough in Hollywood. We've had a major role in a lot of big movies and things and stuff, but then also trying to navigate the weird anti-Semitism that comes on a latent level with all that. Right. And if you're looking for any religious kind of representation, then you're starting from a couple steps back from that. So like, you're not necessarily being discriminated against for being Jewish, but the fact that you are a religious Jew kind of makes you a couple of degrees less relatable and more foreign. Again, it's, you know, it's, I don't mean to like compare this to any other situation. I, I think we can think about these things on their own terms. But yeah, I, I think that that is like a problem that people come across. So that's, that's the next kind of big Jewish culture thing that I wanted to ask you more about. Uh, you know, observation comes up again and again that so much of Jewish portrayal in movies and TV shows is stuck between like the two extremes you've already pointed out, either the bad Orthodox Jews stereotype or the weak, silly, jappy, nebbishy stereotypes. And both seem to feed into this overall lack of proud, straightforward Jewish representation left over seemingly from Hollywood trying to hide or diminish its Jewishness in the 20th century. And so I was wondering, can you get more into as you're watching that stuff play out, again, especially as an Orthodox Jewish woman, but also what do you think will it take to maybe kick this trend you know, as because now you're in the writer's room, you're able to sort of be part of the process as well and leverage more of Jewish fandom to also be part of the process. What does the bigger picture looks in terms of where this is going as well? I know that's a lot to throw at you. No, I mean, I think it's like, 
I would like to be hopeful about it. I think ultimately, as with most representation, it's it's a problem of humanity and and people thinking that things aren't relatable when they are. I think it was, I'm going to sound like a total ponce here, but like, I think it was like Sidney Lumet or something who said like, the more culturally specific something is, the more familiar it actually is and the more relatable it actually is. I mean, I think Orthodox Jews can definitely relate to this. Like if you watch Bend It Like Beckham, you know, or My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you know, the the idea of a culture that has its own patterns and norms and, you know, things and, and, and the, the children of that who are in the wider world and also straddling that line with their traditions, um, is super relatable, like no matter what they're doing. And I think Hollywood has gotten there on a couple of different things. Like we, we do have more, you know, like, um, never have I ever on Netflix, you know, is all about an Indian girl who is a both Indian and American. And like, neither of those things cancel out the other. It's, it's, you know, it's a it's an immigrant experience that is not alienated or ignored. I think religion scares some people sometimes, maybe. Like, and I, I get it. It's not like it's not a an unsensitive subject, you know. But I think that the what what is missed is how how much life there just is in between all the religious stuff. And it's, you know, not that you can like take one and not the other, but like Orthodox Jewish people get out of bed and go to work every day. You know, like they, they, (laughs) they do that. Like I, I have this dream of like having a, you know, Orthodox woman on like a CSI type show. And it's just like Rachel in the background. Like she's not a huge character. She's just like doing her thing. She happens to be wearing a shade till nobody's noticing. And then like Every so often they're like, where's Rachel? We need her to do this. Oh, it's Saturday. She's not here. Like, you know, like the sum total of, of that, you know, like it doesn't have to be a crazy thing. Like, you know, I, I, I hope that there are places for stories where, you know, orthodoxy can be centered, but I don't think that, you know, everything has to be that way. And probably it's better to maybe start from the other way because it is, you know, if people, if people are intimidated by us, then let's like look, look as normal as possible. <laughs> to start off with but yeah I mean it's 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 an interesting situation you know and it's also like not it's not equal across Jewish experiences or Jewish religious experiences like you know I mean as an Ashkenazi Jew like my inherent culture is a lot more familiar to an American audience than a Sephardi Jew or a Mizrahi Jew you know like there needs to be more representation in those directions also I have friends who are very worldly and you know not Jewish and they like I've never heard of Ashkenazi and Sephardi differences. And I'm like, oh, this is like a huge part of my life. It's one of the central definitions of the way you think of yourself as a practicing Jew in America um, and around the world. So yeah, I, I would hope that people can just start with small instances of humanity. Like don't take Batgirl and be like, all right, so she puts a stone on her mother's grave. Check. You know, like, <laughs> I, you know, and that was, you know, similar with like, Willow on Buffy, you know, and then it's good that that exists, I guess, but it's like not enough at this point. And I think we need more of a normalized experience of Judaism. And the reason I think that part other than the fact that I just think that, so I think it's right, um, is that, you know, in my, in my group, you know, the Orthodox Ladies United and Fandom, like anytime there is a mezuzah or a menorah or a yarmulke or anything, um, like Jewish that pops up. If people have Shabbos candles in the background, like it will be in the group and people will be like, did you see this? This is, this is like our representation. And it's like, 
you know, it's not, but it sort of is, you know? So I think like we can, we can start pressing on the gas slightly in that direction. I'm guessing the most recent version of that was uh, with the Hawkeye TV show. With yes. the... <laughs> there were multiple posts that were like, there's a mezuzah, there's a menorah. I was like, ah. But that's, but that's as Jewish as it got? Or was, did they actually say that? That was as Jewish as it got. Yeah. But it was kind of ironic also because it was a, um, it was a Christmas show. <laughs> so like, right. the whole thing was like, is Clint Barton going to get home in time for Christmas? Uh, nothing wrong with that, obviously. Like it's a central New York and American experience. Um, but it was sort of funny that like some of the most evidence or physical evidence of Jews existing in a Marvel thing um, was like set during a, a holiday, <laughs> like a, an explicitly Christmas based show. That seems kind of on brand, though, given uh, how many Jews have worked on like Christmas movies and Christmas uh, songs and stuff. So kind of a weird, uh, a very American coincidence. Um, yes, that's true. This is kind of a bizarre question, but I'm curious if it takes you anywhere. Have you ever been asked to, especially as your screenwriting stuff, sort of, oh, make this character kind of Jewish, and then that becomes a weird conversation? Has that ever been a thing that comes up in terms of as people are characterizing and building a show and sort of how they want things to play out? So I haven't experienced that myself. I would not be surprised if it does happen. And I think, you know, a lot of that is probably from well-meaning people. You know, okay, I'll relate it to this. I, I once watched a makeup tutorial where the artist was talking about how the male executive she was talking to wanted the model to have a very natural look. And they kept saying like supernatural, just like really, really low key. We don't want to see that she's wearing much makeup at all. So she went and she did that. And they were like, she looks awful. <laughs> like, you know, so then she took her back again and was like, okay, I know what they want. So she had the eyelashes and she had the foundation and she had the lipstick, but it was all a lot of products and a lot of work that was dedicated to looking natural or better than normal. And I think that is kind of the case that like you can get stuck in because you want things to be appropriately cultural without being stereotypical, but in, in the act of portraying something, that's a very delicate line to walk. Like, I mean, I think about this all the time. Like, I, I say oy vey a lot. <laughs> and I write oy vey a lot in, like, text conversations. And I'm like, that looks like such a cliche. Like, it really does. Like, I'm typing it. And I'm like, man, that, like, it looks like I'm quoting Tevya or something. It's not, it doesn't sound like it should be coming from my mouth, but it is. And that's the language I was raised with. I, I yeah, it's, it's definitely a delicate proposition. If, if I'm ever, you know, in that situation specifically, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. So I'm also wondering, you know, and you touched a little bit about this in terms of like the CSI thing, but what kind of Jewish representation do you want to see on screen? Like what stories do you think have not been told that should be? And how do you want, you know, I guess Hollywood or the production industry, whatever big term we want to use to, you know, how do you want them to approach Jewish identity over the course of storytelling? If you had your way, like what, what would happen? What needs to happen also? I guess my sort of my ideal would be an American version of the show um, Srugim from Israel, which is actually I haven't watched, but like everyone I know has watched it. And they're like, everyone's so just normal Orthodox in this show. And it's it's about young Orthodox Jews in in Israel. Um, I even have a title. You could call it Modox and nobody would know what that meant. And it would get canceled after five episodes. But like that, that's sort of, you know, my personal dream, you know, seeing somebody who like me, like has to leave work early, 
but also is working, you know, as a lawyer or a doctor or nurse or, you know, any number of, I just named a bunch of very stereotypical professions, but, (laughs) you know, the poet or the artist and all the people who are, you know, doing all of the jobs that Orthodox Jews actually do have. Um, And, you know, including in Hollywood and in comics and in, you know, literature and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's also important to keep in mind, like, you know, that you can't, you can't totally center your own experience. So I think just in general, we need like wider representation of Sephardi Jews, Jews of color, you know, I mean, it would be wonderful to see like a, a low key storyline where somebody was becoming more religious, you know, it's just like part of their journey in the story. And it wasn't a massive point of contention or, or whatever, just because we so often get the other way. But, uh, you know, even as I say that, I'm like, but stories work on drama. So, you know, which is a lot of the time the problem you run into. Um, and if everybody's happy, you know, there's no drama. But then I think the point would be that the drama would come from other places. Like, you could have a superhero who is like, you know what, I'm going to try and take on keeping kosher. And like, that's not a big deal for them most of the time. But then, you know, they also have to fight supervillains. You know, like, why, why can't that happen? And like, th- those two things are not necessarily connected in their lives. Like, we have plenty of human drama, I guess that would be superhuman, but like, human drama in, in our lives that could be exploited for um, great stories. And, I, you know, like, uh, part of it is just the like, I know some of the, um, some of the guidelines that people try and put out for like, diversity in general. So like, particularly with women and like, you know, how many background characters just usually tend to be men or whatever. And it's like, if you take half of those and make them women, you will just actually make a huge difference. And like, it won't even be a thing. So, you know, if you take one or two background characters and like make them Jewish, like to be fair, the Spider-Man movie that just came out did this, there's no spoilers, but there's a, one scene where you definitely see a guy with a kippa, like just in the background, you know, he, he doesn't have a name. You don't even see his face, but like, it's, it's part of that, I guess, texture. Whereas I guess in the first Spider-Man movie, they put two Hasidish looking kids in Peter's high school, which is a public school. And I'm just like, that is bad representation because that would never happen. <laughs> and I'm like, guy with a kippah in front of this. Yeah, great. Even kid with a kippah and like, this is saying out, but like a polo shirt could be in Peter's high school. But like, you got to know who you're talking about. And I get that it's not always easy, but like sometimes it is that easy. And yeah, you know, it's one of those things where we are in a weird position. It's not like you would necessarily think that like Jews are underrepresented as a whole, you know, in Hollywood. It's not, that's not necessarily the case. But like, if you devote a little bit of your energy of diversity toward, you know, a black Jewish person, and they're wearing a kippah, and they're just a character in your show. And that's like, that's actually like a significant step toward representation that like hasn't existed before in a lot of places. Uh, You know, so I I think I think I, I want everything. (laughs) You know, I also want stories about like people just being, you know, Orthodox Jews and like, having to make Shabbos. Like, I I would love that. I don't think that's actually going to happen because I, I don't think that, like, really religious-based stories are, like, that interesting to people. But, like, it would be funny. I had an idea once for, like, a kiddish club series where you just see everyone on Shabbos morning and, like, week by week how things are going and, like, who broke up with who and, like, somebody started a new job. Oh, no, they hate it. Like, it, a whole bunch of, like, that kind of stuff. 
That's awesome. I feel like you could you could also do an anthology of like different Jewish families. It's like right up to Shabbat, some kind of crisis happens, and it's just like as everyone's in the rush to prep for that. I think that'd be hilarious. I somebody should make that happen. Yeah. No, that would actually be really fun. That would kind of be like you know like the room to 12 or whatever like hbo had a had an anthology show that was just based around this one motel room and it was just like different genres of stories of people who like stayed in this particular motel room and like some of them were totally normal some of them were horror or some of them you know but yeah that would be like it could be called like countdown to shabbos or something could also do a pesach <laughs> themed one with the uh pesach hotels oh my god there you go we'll talk about drama <laughs> I and mean, like yeah something else i wanted to ask you seeing as we're talking shortly before the end of 2021 tomorrow's new year's eve when you look back on the tv shows and movies that came out in 2021 which would you say were the most jewish in a good way like you know even if what was on screen wasn't explicitly jewish did anything just give you like a wow that's really jewish that's cool vibe um, can I cheat and just go to the very end of 2020? Go for it. Okay. The Mandalorian has been like my major source of like Jewish feelings on television. And it's bonkers, but it it actually like, it's not a difficult comparison to make. And like, especially the second season where, you know, the main character really struggles with some of his observances quite literally and what he needs to do in you know how how those come into conflict with thing other things he needs and, and saving people's lives and and all this kind of thing um not that i always think it was a perfect parallel or probably totally unintentional but like there's one particular thing that i i wish they had done differently if they were really following this but i guess there's a respect for the character's observance and his actions as a part of that that like i just felt very seen by and it's not really where you would expect at all um, I was making a joke that he was like Mandal Orthodox and that was like <laughs> I wanted to make the joke again this year but we don't really have the Mandal we have Boba Fett that that remains to be seen <laughs> that will go um, but yeah no it was very like very interesting to see I feel like there are probably some other things I know there was a show called The Club that came out on Netflix it was a Turkish show I only watched a little bit of it, but it, I mean, it starts with like the main character lighting candles on Friday night. Um, and it's about Turkish Jews kind of coming into the nightclub scene in like, I think it's the twenties. And, you know, there's a lot of political turmoil and, and social change and stuff like that. And it, it was very interesting. I just kind of, to be honest, I, I was probably distracted by something with superheroes or dragons or something. So That's very cool. I had no idea that that show was a thing. Also, thank you for uh, keeping the, the spoilers to a minimum because I haven't seen the second season of The Mandalorian. So Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've still got a dish shot for you Disney+. Should, I mean, I had issues with the season, but ultimately it is TV. And it's also, yeah, again, the just the Jewish representation in Star Wars, I literally never, ever, ever thought would exist ever. Because I mean, like, I mean, let's be realistic. I can ask for it in Marvel. I don't think I can ask for it in Star Wars. <laughs> like, it's just, that's ridiculous. What am I going to ask for? And then suddenly it like turns up. So to come back to sort of your journey and your work of, you know, getting to where you are today, I also would love to just ask you in terms of the framing of going from Avatar The Last Airbender fan to getting to work on The Dragon Prince, which has been kind of compared as the next generation of like that show. And then She-Ra, Princesses of Power, have been kind of held up as like the next Avatar things. What's it like to, you know, be an Avatar fan and then get to work on the show that's kind of in that same vein and, and in the, the history of that kind of thing? 
it's kind of crazy. It's, it's like, you don't stop being a fan just because you start being a professional. It definitely, you know, there are definitely days where it's like, not really a, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think about the fact that my boss wrote Avatar, you know, like I, I don't think about it at all. And then like, there are other days when it's just like, oh my God, I can just imagine what it must've been like when they were discussing the plot <laughs> of season two and like the Dai Li and like, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it feels like it's, a, it's, I mean, I should say like, I haven't worked on the first three seasons, which, you know, was really them like stepping out and, and creating this world. Um, I'm, I was brought on for later work, but it feels like a really thrilling opportunity and also a, a really interesting responsibility because there is that like connection and, you know, I mean, I know from myself and I know from so many other people how much Avatar means to them. And just, I guess the, the idea that something you are participating in working on has the potential to, you know, become part of someone's life in a really deep way is, is, frightening in some ways um and really wonderful but but it can also be like oh my goodness you know like what if on a on a silly level what if this becomes a meme <laughs> you know <laughs> like there you go and it's like i don't know um you're welcome i guess internet <laughs> um, but yeah no and and i think especially with like that particular age group I don't even know what it would officially be called, but it, it, it's sort of that like middle grade to young adult to use like book terms um, on it. Um, and it's such a powerful space because like, that's how Harry Potter starts. That's, you know, like, I feel like that is where you can grab onto people's attention with brighter colors and with funnier jokes and with more childlike problems you know, and then the transition is actually so natural to things growing more complicated. And, you know, because literally everyone has gone through that, that experience of just like having your perspective on life and then realizing, oh, it's a little bit more complicated. Oh, it's a little more complicated than that. Actually, it's significantly more complicated. (laughs) And then you graduate from high school and you're like, oh my God, I don't know anything. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I love it. And I think it's, it's, a a tremendous opportunity. And I I feel just crazy lucky to even be part of that, the journey of the creation of something like that at all. So the last question I have for you is what's coming next for you, both in terms of TV shows or movies you're looking forward to, and also the work that you're doing? Because I keep sort of seeing bits and pieces of you're working on a book. So what's the, you know, when you look on the horizon, what's, what do you see? What's out there? Yeah. Um, I, I am working on a novel. Thanks. Now I feel really guilty. I should write it tonight. <laughs> um, if you follow me on Twitter, probably you hate me because I'm always like, I don't want to write my novel. Like, uh, it's just all me whining. It's just, just complaining constantly. Can I say it? It's a very Jewish Twitter feed. I love you complaining on Twitter about writing. It is my favorite. <laughs> it is one of the greatest things. When everything else is bad news and like journalists and like policy wonks, just all of the everything's horrible in the world. And then like I see your Twitter, it always makes me laugh. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Maybe I will actually get on and whine a little tonight. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I am writing a novel. I, I kind of describe it as Jewish Mulan minus sword plus pen. Um and it's, I, I, 
I don't know. I mean, I'm not legal. I'm just writing it. It's, you know, there's nothing, no contracts or anything involved in it, but like, yeah, it's a, it's a Jewish story set sometime in Jewish history that I haven't decided yet about a, a, a young teen who, or mid teen, I don't know, basically has to, through a series of circumstances, take on her father's scribing responsibilities and discovers that she can kind of do magic when she writes words of Torah and Tefillah. So it's, yeah, that's, that's exciting. Um, I'm, I don't know if it will ever be a real thing, but hopefully I will finish it at least. And then we can go from there. Um, and then, yeah, so I'm, I'm working on the Dragon Prince and, you know, TBD on that. Um, we also have some other stuff going on at Wonderstorm that's, that's pretty exciting and cool. I mean, I, it's so funny. Like, I feel like I had so much I was looking forward to for this year. And now like, I'm sure there's stuff I'm really excited for, for next year. I just don't like things like Loki and Shadow and Bone and, and, you know, a bunch of books were so like pressing <laughs> like this year. I'm like, I'm sure it's exciting. I just don't, I just don't know where it is yet. <laughs> like if, you know, if Lee Bardugo has another book coming out, I, I, I'm not aware of it. But I guess, so one thing I'm excited for, I just have to shout out Naomi Novik, who is the author of um, a lot of amazing books, but specifically Spinning Silver, which I guess to loop back around to the beginning of our conversation is one of the few times that I've actually felt represented in a work of fantasy. And it's basically a Jewish fantasy version of the Rumpelstiltskin myth, kind of hidden in a bunch of very exciting layers and a lot of mythology and a girl who can turn silver into gold. And there's, you know, the, the main character is a, is a Jewish girl called Miriam. And she is just like, so powerful and fierce and like incredible. I, I, I love it. So she has another series called A Deadly Education. That's the name of the first book anyway. And the third book in the trilogy is supposed to be coming out this year uh, or next year. I well, I guess whenever you're listening to this, it's 2022. It's supposed to be coming out. Very excited for that. that. That'll be really cool. Against my better judgment, I'm interested in, you know, Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness and all that. Like, I, I'm not a huge Doctor Strange fan, but there's just so many threads that are now tied into this that I guess I have to be excited for it. Um, let's see. I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of stuff, I guess. It's 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 more just like, I don't know what Star Wars is doing next year, but I'm looking forward to finding out. And I don't fully know. I mean, I know there's stuff on the Marvel slate, but like we're sort of like running out from the stuff that they had had to save up because of the pandemic. I don't know if there's any dragon stories. Let me know. (laughs) I'm definitely excited for that, even if I don't know that they exist. Which also reminds me, because a quick bonus question I wanted to ask you, what's your sort of overall take on The Witcher season two? I'm like on episode six or seven, and I'm really enjoying it. But I also wanted to, because I've seen you tweet about it. So I just wanted to ask you like what you thought. Yeah, um, no spoilers, but I really, really liked it. I actually like, I, have you read the books? I have not. Okay, so I, I watched season one when it came out and I was like, I wasn't really into it. I was just kind of like, okay, this is, everybody's talking about it, so I'll watch it. It's fine. This was before the pandemic, so I was still, like, doing my entertainment reporting and stuff like that. Um, And then I was like, ah, fine. I have a couple friends who say the books are really good, but, like, 
me, a very sophisticated and obnoxious American, assumed that if they were really that good, they would have already been very popular in the United States and not just in Poland. Well, that version of me was very wrong. They are phenomenal books. And um, that kind of really launched me into a much greater appreciation of the series. So I don't actually know if it's my, if it's that book influence that is making me like season two so much more. But I feel like it's just more sophisticated and just a little more cohesive and the storytelling is a little clearer and characters have slightly clearer just goals. There's definitely not enough of Yaskier. That's maybe one of my main beefs with the season. But yeah, I, I I was a little apprehensive, but I'm a big fan. That definitely makes sense. Yeah, I do have to say in terms of season one being more confusing with all the interwoven plot lines and the yeah. tiny stuff, like I made the mistake of at the time not having Netflix. So I terrible me tried to pirate it but the site that i was pirating on had all the episodes in the opposite order on the thing so i accidentally started watching the last episode of the first season and i was so completely lost it was like i couldn't like up was down right was left oh my god all these great emotional moments and they're just like falling like lead balloons oh my goodness it was so confusing (laughs) and then i like realized what i had done wrong and like watched it the right way through and it like made slightly more sense so I guess if you know to connect those two characters, it probably helps like going through. But like, yeah, I I wasn't even that confused because I think I watched it a couple of weeks after it first came out. So I'd already seen like, oh, there's different timelines. And I was like, okay, even if I don't fully get everything, I know that there's different timelines at least. But like, yeah, I don't know. I I think they really up their game and they are laying really exciting groundwork for I think they're planning seven seasons. So um, yeah, I'm. I'm fully down and I do really recommend reading the books. There is some really interesting Jewish parallels, I guess you would say, in the story um, in that like the author is not shy about making comparisons between like, for example, the dwarves and Jewish communities and dwarves experience pogroms, like they that word is used. Um, and as I understand it, in Eastern Europe, it can be used more widely. It's not necessarily just a, the word that we would associate it as Jewish people, but um yeah, I, you know, I don't I don't love every single version of that that happens in in the books, but I do think that it's a very interesting thing for a Christian Polish author who was like born in like 1940 or something to really put into his books and make a strong statement about discrimination and and hatred. Yeah, I have a lot of online thoughts about that. <laughs> I can direct people's ways if they if they ever want to listen to them. I love this. Maybe you should start a Witcher focused podcast because there's so it's oh, so I have much one. to like. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's called the Podcast of Surprise. I do it with um, two guys I know from the Game of Thrones community. We have already covered the first two books, which are books of short stories, and we are actually just about to start covering season two. Wow. How many podcasts do you have? Just so when people are looking out for that, like they know roughly how many to. <laughs> I have three podcasts that I do regularly, and then I do a podcast called The Vassals of King Three, which I mentioned earlier, um, that I'm part of, but it's a community-based podcast, so it I'm not on, like, a ton of episodes. It'll just be kind of like if the timing works out for something that I'm interested in, I'll be on. But yeah, that that podcast is very dear to my heart, so I definitely still count it as, as one of my podcasts. So yeah, I guess you would say that I have four podcasts. Phenomenal. Well, thank you so much. This has been, I can't believe we, we've talked for almost an hour. This is amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been great. And 
Maybe at some point it'd be fun to have you on again because we also didn't cover. I don't know if you are a gamer at all, but it seems like there's a lot of overlap. No, you're not. What was that face? I'm not a gamer. This oh. is like my major. That and Star Trek are like my major holes in my nerddom. But I know a lot of the gaming words because I have a lot of friends who are gamers. So I'm like, oh, the DLC sucked. <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> and awful, and I can't believe that Star Trek is one of the holes. That's like. <laughs> awful i mean it makes sense if you know me because i am so much more of like an emotion person not that star trek isn't isn't emotional like i, I know that there is emotional storytelling there but like i went to see the jj abrams movie and i was like i can't wait to see spock and the guy with the pointy ears for the first time and then like five minutes into the movie i was like oh i guess they're the same person huh <laughs> i'm horrified right now i'm literally i'm like this is awful i i don't know how i this was a big mistake i don't know if we can <laughs> Oh no. oh no! You're gonna have to find a whole new guest for this episode. Oh no! I I think I I think I'll keep you on, but wow, that's painful. The thing you just I said know. that hurt I a know. lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll uh, I'll let you go, but happy secular New Year, and uh, I hope this year maybe Star Trek finds you. <laughs> yes, I, we'll see. We'll I'll see. I'll evangelize a little <laughs> bit in the Star Trek the Star Trek faith. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> This has been this week's The Jews Are Tired podcast. I'm Lev Gringaus. Don't forget to subscribe and share, and hopefully next week, the Jews will get some rest. The Jews Are Tired is a product of Jewfolk, Inc. For more information, go to tcjewfolk.com or email the show at podcast at tcjewfolk.com. A link to the transcript of this episode is available in the podcast notes, along with links to any news stories or reports referenced for this episode.